0: Of course, Christmas movies, one of the great classics is It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and you kind of, if you think about that movie, it uh, sums up sort of the general cultural feeling of that time. You got James Stewart's George Bailey, right, and he's uh, shown by this angel how things uh, would have been different had he never lived. And of course, the movie's filled with a philosophy of how much better it is that the person lives than that they never lived, and hope, and all that sort of thing, because it's a wonderful life. Now, let's contrast that with one of the 20th century's most influential philosophers, Jean Paul Sartre, the uh, father of existentialism. He writes, we were a heap of existences, uncomfortable, embarrassed at ourselves. We have the slightest reason to be there, none of us, each one confused, vaguely alarmed, felt superfluous in relation to the others. And I myself, I too was superfluous. I dreamed vaguely of killing myself to wipe out at least one of these superfluous, superfluous, he likes that word superfluous, which I can't say three times fast, existences. But even my death would have been superfluous. He writes in The Philosophy of John Paul Sutherland. Well, he was a lot of fun at parties, don't <laughs> Man, I wish I could have hung out with him. Francis Schaeffer, the great 20th century theologian. I don't know if you've ever read Francis Schaeffer. Probably, I'm going to argue, the second greatest 20th century theologian. I think Dallas Willard is the first, but anyway. He argues in his book, he is there and he is not silent, that man's rebellion against God has driven mankind below what he calls the line of despair. And he quotes Romans chapter 1 verses 21 through 22. He says, Romans says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so Schaeffer, in response to people like Sartre, because that was really what he was writing about, was writing about the uh, late 19th and 20th century philosophers like Sartre, and Nietzsche, and people like that. He says, by eliminating God and his revelation from the picture, modern philosophy has plunged man into the abyss of ignorant darkness and hopeless despair. To stave off the despair, think about it. What do people do now? Spend their time watching cat videos on TikTok. Distracting themselves with all forms of entertainment because so often life just seems absurd and meaningless to them at best and hopeless at worst. And I think that's one of the reasons. Now, this is me talking, not Shaver. Well, the TikTok part was me talking. That's why some people so easily fall prey to all sorts of crazy ideas. They're looking for a way out of despair. So when some dude comes on to Oprah and claims to help people find their purpose, he's going to sell some books. And so according to Eckhart Tolle in The Power of Now, the only real source of meaning and purpose comes from being aligned with the universe. And the purpose of the universe is to bring the light of consciousness into the world. Now, you've got to understand something. This guy has sold 3 million copies of this book in English alone, and it's been translated into 33 languages. Now, I'm not even sure what that nonsense word salad I just read <laughs> meant. But people eat this stuff up. Because when you're sinking below the line of despair, as Francis Schaeffer calls it, and Oprah comes along, the herald and goddess of the new age herself, and said, in case you're wondering, yeah, I'm not a big Oprah fan. <laughs> if that hasn't been clear by now, I don't know. Says, listen to this guy. A lot of people are going to listen. Even if his word salad is mostly wilted lettuce. But see, this isn't a new problem. This is not just a problem of our modern age because the Colossians were suffering from the same problem. They were also being led astray by teachers with all sorts of philosophies and instructions that were counter to the truth of Christ. And it seems there were teachers, or teachings that were taking the focus off Jesus on all sorts of other rituals and heresies and things that led away from the preeminence of our Lord. Because remember, that's sort of the first big truth in Colossians, that we encounter is that Jesus is preeminent over all things. Doesn't matter what it is, he's preeminent over. Material things, spiritual things, the church, you, me, whatever it is, Jesus is over. But we also learn that when it comes to that, we, we've got a lot of choice. We can cooperate with Jesus who lives in us if we have put our faith and trust in him, and we can become more like him. That's one option. We can, we can cooperate with the work he wants to do in our lives so that we can become more like Jesus. Or we can resist Jesus who lives in us. And we talked about last week how there, there's no secret knowledge out there, okay? That you're being kept from God isn't hiding anything from anybody. There's no silver bullet. There's no magic. There's no formula. There's no talisman. There's no nothing. That is something that's being held back from you or that you need that you don't already have to grow in Christ. It is simply what you need is the lifetime commitment of apprenticing to Jesus to becoming like him through learning learning and applying his word. That's it. There's no secret. It's not magic. God's not hiding. There's no teacher with some (laughs) secret hidden knowledge. Dan Andrews and I don't know something that you don't. I mean, Dan knows some things I don't know. I already told (laughs) him. That's what the regional minister's job is. I can say that way tonight. His wife's (laughs) going to me that. Some of them are just more trying to counter the despair. Some are just absurd. Perhaps you have heard of this book and this movie called The Secret. Has anybody heard of The Secret? A secret. Once yeah, again, there you go, secret out. ignore the man you haven't heard? Right? And the, the Secret is this idea of the law of attraction, that really what you need to do positively, fo- if you need or want something from the universe, and some of the universe is granted wishes or something like, you know, the genie in the lab, um, you've never had a friend like me. Um, you just got to really positively want it bad enough for the universe to give it to you, the law of attraction. And hopefully, I'm hoping that you as, as people of the Bible look at that and go, yeah, I don't think so. That doesn't do it with what the scriptures say. But yet I can tell you There is a Christian version of the Law of Attraction, and it is called Name It and Claim It. But you just gotta name what you want from God and claim that God is gonna give it to you, and he will give it to you if you have enough faith. Well, I drove here in a Toyota van and not a Lamborghini, so I'm gonna have to tell you. I tried to walk into that dealership and name it and claim it, and I was escorted off the (laughs) lot. No, it's not how it works. It's not how it works. And a simple reading of the scriptures will tell you that it's not how it works. So Paul begins this section, that we're going to look at today, of Colossians, by exhorting us not to fall prey to these sorts of false teachings and worldly philosophies. He starts off by telling us, do not be taken captive. Verse 8 of chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Capture here comes from the word for spoils of war. To the spoils of war. And I kind of like that idea because the scripture is pretty clear that in so, many place, in so many places that there is a war on for your heart, soul, and mind. The enemy wants it. The enemy wants you to be led astray. And the world and its philosophies and the culture and the enemy want us one way, and the Spirit of God wants us another way. And then Paul tells us how we're taken captive. Because it's not like they're lining up out there, you know, to drag you off. But we're taken captive by philosophies and empty deceit, which are ideas that are incompatible with or contrary to the way of Jesus. All sorts of theories about God or life, that are contrary to what the scriptures say. Things that sound good. Maybe they even sound sort of spiritual and sort of godly. But they lead to death. For example, things like the Law of Attraction, or Eckhart Tolle. See, I don't even know what he meant by that, so I can't even say it back to you because it's just so bizarre. Or, maybe you've heard of the concept of open theism. Does anybody know what open theism is? It's the idea that God is growing along with us. That he, does, he doesn't really know the future. And he's not really, he's learning as he goes along. And he's getting better. Right? I mean, I mean, Christ is laughing because she's like immediately going, that's the most absurd thing I've ever <laughs> But I can tell you there are NEV pastors who are open theists. Okay? They, they they don't think God knows the future. There you go. Second thing, Paul talks about is traditions, right? Right? Anybody like to it on the roof? Traditions. <laughs> <laughs> They're human ways of doing things that are not necessarily going to lead us closer to Jesus. Traditions. Okay. For example, God bless them. The King James version only. Right, there's people out there who think that the only scriptures you can use in the King James Version. In fact, they believe that if you're a missionary and you go to another country and you need to translate the scriptures into their language, you're to start with the King James Version, not the Greek New English. Huh? No, I'm okay with King James. Whatever, but so I'm not gonna tell you it's the only English version. I'm not gonna tell you the ESV is the only English version. I can find problems at all. And then he talks about the elemental spirits of the world. I like that. That's an interesting comment. Now, commentators differ on what this means. Some commentators think that this is referring to demonic spirits that inspire false and deceptive teachings, because he uses the word spirits. So for example, of the elemental spirits of the world that will lead people astray would be an angel claiming to be Gabriel, visits a Bedouin who is meditating in a cave on Mount Hira in Arabia, and begins to give him revelations that he writes down. And over the course of 23 years, he writes the Quran. Because that's how Muslims believe Muhammad got the Quran. That okay. the angel Gabriel visited him in a cave while he was meditating over the course of 23 years and gave him the Quran. Now other commentators think that the idea of elemental spirits here is actually more in line with what Galatians 4.3 says where it says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now there, if you read chapter 4 of Galatians, Paul's more referring to people being captive to worldly principles and gods who are no gods and idols and that sort of thing, but that when God sent Christ to free us from the world and its principles and adopt us as sons and daughters, we were freed from all that. So in other words, prior to Jesus coming into our lives, we were living and enslaved to worldly principles and ideas, but now we're free from those things. Elementary principles. Of the world. So an example of that would be, in general, the world would tell you, if someone hurts you, it's okay to take revenge on them. In fact, we have lots of movies about that, right? John Wick, anybody? Or movies of the guy basically taking revenge on everybody because they killed his dog. It's like rough. To up the dog. Right? Now that's counter to Jesus' words, right? Because what does he say? He says to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Scripture says vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now I would say, because of what Paul says in the middle of this passage, which I haven't read to you yet, I lean toward the first view that we're talking about actual demonic beings. And we'll discuss that in a minute when we get to that section. But either way, whichever view you want to take on what the elementary spirits are, elemental spirits are, all these things, the empty philosophies, the human traditions, the elemental spirits of the world, they all can lead us away from Jesus and the narrow road of discipleship and his preeminence in our lives. They're all things that lead us somewhere that's not Jesus. Or at least doesn't bring us closer to Jesus. Because Paul would instead have our minds be renewed and not pressed into the mold of the world, right? That's what he says in Romans 12 2. when he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now that sounds awesome, to have my mind transformed and renewed, and not be conformed to this world. But you know, that's really tough. Because the world is constantly bombarding us with its messages and ideas, and wants us to conform to how it wants us to live. I just noticed this yesterday, so I don't know if any of you besides us shop at Blue Lemon. Occasionally. I love Blue Lemon. The work outfits, yeah, their men stuff amazing. My wife has my wife. Everything she's wearing is Blue Lemon because Merry Christmas. <laughs> but they have quotes on their bags, right? I started looking at some of those quotes. This one really caught my eye. It said on the bag, this is not your practice life. It is the only life you get. Now, when you first read that, it sounds sort of true, doesn't it? I kind of get what they're getting at. But actually, the Bible tells me that this life is preparation for eternal life isn't the only life I get. That's the only life I've experienced up to this point. But through Christ, I have eternal life. And some of how my eternal life works has to do with with this life. But because of the work of Christ and being completely saved, my eternal life, which is going to be much longer than this life, is not in danger because nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. So actually, this is not He'll the only life I can. This is kind of the prelude to a much longer eternal life. What probably makes it even harder is that to live as Jesus is to live ca- really very countercultural. And it's easy to be misunderstood, and it's easy to be reviled. I don't know if you ever heard the apocryphal story about Billy Graham and some pro golfer. I uh, I have never been able to verify if this story is true or not, but it makes a good point. Some claim it was Lee Trevino, but I can find no conclusive evidence of this. But this golfer at some pro-am, I, I don't know if you know, but Billy Graham was actually a very good golfer. Um, he um, was pretty much part golfer, so I mean, that's pretty good. And he was playing in some charity pro-am event paired with some pro. And after the round golf. Came off. The pro golfer was pretty upset and just kind of disturbed. And someone came up to him and asked him said, "Oh man, playing with Billy Graham. What was that like? Did he lay it on really, really thick?" And The golfer just shook his head and said, "He didn't have to say a word. Because when you live different from a golfer, it's shocking." When we choose to cooperate with Christ living in us, we're going to live a different way. We're going to think a different way. But those philosophies that are around us, those cultural things, those worldly things, here in this world filled with despair and lacking hope, try to drag us into their mold. So it means to be conformed, right? To this world. be pressed into its mold. they are trying to drag us in counter to that is we have to cooperate with Jesus living in us and we have to be trying to counter those things by filling our head with his word and living according to his spirit. But you know, even in church we can get caught up in trying to press people into the way we think they should live. Oftentimes claiming it's for their own good. And that's the next thing Paul confronts in verses 16 and 19. He says that we're not to be judged by legalism. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So before he's talking about worldly philosophies and ideas, now he's talking about religious ideas, spiritual ideas. Because when he's talking about festivals and new moons and Sabbaths, those are all related to the Old Testament works of the law of Moses. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about Old Testament works. And then he also adds in religious ideas coming from other religions, demanding things like harsh denial of the body, right? That's what is. The denial of physical things, or the worshiping of angels, which would take the focus off the worship of Jesus. The early church, you probably know if you've read through the book of Acts or you've read through Galatians, repeatedly has to deal with this question of what do you do with the Old Testament law? Even today, we have a variety of denominations who, in my opinion, have confused ideas about the Old Testament law. For example, Seventh-day Adventists. By the way, Friday night to Saturday night Sabbath, in which they do almost no work, do not go shopping, no sports, no partaking in entertainment, that sort of thing. Very much like the Jewish way of doing the Sabbath.
1: When I was in seminary, I dated a
0: gal for a few months. Yes, more than one woman, than I actually like I know you're shocked. true. I saw the shock look. I dated this gal for a little while who belonged to a church that did not allow shopping or eating out or anything on Sunday except church and home. They were allowed to do anything Maybe you've heard of the Hebrew Roots Movement. Anybody ever heard of the Hebrew Roots? Okay. These are folks that claim that Christians are to follow the non-ceremonial parts of the Old Testament law. I say the non-ceremonial because they don't have any they didn't build a temple, and they don't sacrifice any goats on Sunday. So. Mostly, it seems they focus a lot on the dietary law. Don't eat pork, don't eat shellfish, that's thing. And I think that's true because the last Hebrew Roots Movement guy I met was wearing a nylon jacket with a cotton lining. Well, if you know anything about the Old Testament law, that is absolutely forbidden. You may not wear a mixed. we know the New Testament is clear that Jesus fulfilled the law in our place. It's kind of one of the main points of the book of Hebrews. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law in our place. I don't have to live according to the law. The book of Galatians points out that we are free from the law because Jesus already fulfilled it for me. I've already fulfilled the law. I'm also not sure what they do about James 2.10. Because in James 2.10 it says that whoever keeps the whole law and yet, stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking all of the law. There doesn't seem to be an exception there for the ceremonial law. It doesn't say whoever keeps the whole law, but you don't have to keep the ceremonial parts of the law. Just the dietary ones. It says whoever doesn't keep, so you can't keep the whole law anyway, unless you build yourself a temple and find yourself a red hander. This has really brought home to me this whole this whole idea of these legalisms and these coming up with rules that do not bring people closer to Jesus. I was reading this story this week. This church in Indiana. Pastor brings a guy in to speak on young earth creationism. Okay, that's cool. I mean, so far I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm okay with that. The next Sunday he was had to issue an apology because it turns out the guy had long hair down to his shoulders and he was allegedly a Methodist. No one had proven whether he was a Methodist or not. He was an alleged Methodist. I don't know if that's better or worse. (laughs) 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 Poor Methodist. But that even wasn't his worst sin, okay? The the first thing that the pastor got called on was the guy, who length of his hair. The second thing was that he was, some people thought he may have been a member of a Methodist church. No proof of this. And mind you, I don't know anyone in the Bible where being a Methodist is a sin. But anyway, I, I don't know. But his worst sin, it turns out, when he used scripture on slides, you know, scripture verses? Some of them were from the NIV. <laughs> the horror. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's these kind of legalisms that just take our focus off the way of Jesus. Now, if you want to use the KJV, God bless you. I mean, I, I still have scripture memorized when I was a kid that was memorized in the King James that's what we used go to recite a verse of scripture and it comes out in King James. I don't think I've been hurt by that. <laughs> if you want to King James, God bless you. If you want to wear a suit on Sunday and a tie, that's great. Skirt for ladies. Whatever. That's great. I don't care. But don't make those things the standard of conduct for followers of Jesus and judge other people by it. You know, I I hate to disappoint these people when Jesus did not have a neither did Paul, and yet he, he got by. Neither Jesus nor Paul had a tie. They didn't have any ties. In fact, I was thinking the tie thing was funny. you know Do you, know you know what the origin of ties is? Anybody know? What ties come from? In medieval times, you only had one fancy shirt generally. Even royalty generally had one or two really nice shirts. So when you went to you eat at a banquet where you wore your nice shirt. You wrapped a piece of cloth around your neck and over your shirt so you didn't get food on your shirt. Ties are a napkin? <laughs> That's where ties You're wearing a napkin around your neck. Okay? So there you go. The next time you see me in a tie, I'm going to pick that thing up. <laughs> so they are. Okay? That's what they were. In the church I grew up in, you were not supposed to go watch rated R movies. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying all rated R movies necessarily have things in them that you should be consuming. But you weren't supposed to go rated R movies, that's fine. But yet, no one had any problem with anybody spending all day Sunday afternoon watching groups of guys try to massacre each other on a 100-yard long field. I don't know if you noticed, football's a pretty violent sport. Especially if you're Ohio State, be doing it. <laughs> lot of those guys growing up, they really like boxing. Used to watch boxing. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to say this, okay? If you think about it, and I'm not—I I like boxing, so—but if you think about it, boxing is probably the most unchristian sport there is. You're literally trying to beat another person in I don't think Jesus would box, but whatever. Okay, maybe next to fishing. Little fish was just in there, all innocent and swimming around looking for his next meal, and you deceived that fish with your lure to his death. I'm just kidding about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, you didn't watch right in our movies because they were obviously afraid you might see someone dancing. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Paul's command here is to let no one, he says, let no one disqualify you means that we're not to let anyone judge our walk with Christ who is in us by judging us by these sorts of legalisms or false teachings. Now, we can call sin what the Bible says is sin. That's a different thing. We're not to create rules or demands and demand the keeping of rules by others that are not things Jesus and the Scriptures have told us. Remember the Pharisees did that, right? They had rules to protect the rules so that you didn't break the law rules upon rules upon rules. And we know what Jesus said to them about it. And if you don't know what Jesus did said to them about it, just go read your Gospels and you'll find out what he said about it. But what we do need to do, according to Paul, in the middle part of this passage, is that we are to look only to Jesus. Verses 9-15. And he's talking about Jesus here. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, and the powerful working of God is raised from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The so to counter all the worldly philosophies and all the legalisms that people try to come up with, Paul makes four really quick points about Jesus and his word. First thing he tells us is Jesus is completely God. He's all God. He says he's the fullness of God in bodily form. And so thus he's the head over all rule and authority everywhere for all time. You don't need anything else. You don't need anyone else to know God. You just need Jesus. Because Jesus is God. He's not some lesser being. He's not some lesser spirit. He's God in every way, shape, and form. He is God completely. And that's how we know God. It's fun. If you notice, there's a little play on words, right? In Verses 9 and 10. It says, he's the fullness of deity. He dwells in him. And then... We are filled in him. He has the fullness of God, and then he fills us. And the idea there is that with Christ dwelling in us, we lack nothing spiritually. There's nothing else we need. There's no secret knowledge. There's no special teaching. There's no worldly philosophy. There's none of these other other things that Paul listed here. We don't need to look outside Jesus. There's no need to look outside of Jesus. For anything we need, spiritually. second tells us is that we have a complete salvation in Jesus. There's nothing else we need for salvation because Christ has already done it all. When we put our faith in him, it's a done deal. He's already done it all. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to do any extra work. You don't have to believe any extra things beyond Christ. None of that. It's like the old song goes, Jesus pays off. all." done you don't need something else. You don't need any secret knowledge. Nobody's hiding anything from it. It's just Jesus. Then you have complete forgiveness. All our sin debt is canceled in Christ. There's no, no work you need to do to be forgiven. nothing else you need to add. Because Christ has done it when he died and rose again, giving us the forgiveness of sins and taking our spiritual deadness and our physical death and giving us new eternal life. There's no, you don't need any legalisms, you don't need a bunch of rules, because Christ already forgave us. You don't have to do anything extra. You certainly don't have to earn it. If you don't wear a tie on Sunday, you're not going to get kicked out of the kingdom. None of that kind of stuff. And then he also says you have complete victory. Remember, whenever you see that rulers and authorities thing in the Bible, it's pretty much talking about spiritual beings who rule over this fallen world. It says Christ conquered them completely. And yeah, we know they're still running around causing issues, but they are defeated, and we do not have to succumb to their schemes. This is why, back when we were talking about in verse 8, about the elemental spirits, this is why I lean toward the demonic powers interpretation. Because... Paul is now making a point of telling us that those spiritual rulers and authorities are conquered foes. It seems to me that the reason he mentions them in verse 8 is because he's going to tell you that they're conquered here later on in the passage. We don't have to fall prey to those schemes if we choose to follow Jesus. And they are behind many of those schemes that are out in the world to draw us away from following the Lord. It is really easy to get caught up in all these things. The culture, to be captured by the philosophies of the world, it's so easy. <laughs> okay? There's a lot of craziness out there. It's also easy to get sucked into legalisms or to fall prey to ideas that sort of sound good, but they're antithesis of what it means to follow Jesus or who God is or what the Bible teaches. you know what drives the idea of open theism? People don't like the fact that there's evil in the world. And so, to convince themselves that it's okay that there's evil in the world, they have to say, well, God learning it as he goes along. He doesn't really know what the future is. So, he didn't stop that evil because he didn't know what was going to happen until it happened. That's what drives it. He's trying to like you God excuse dangerous idea, because if God doesn't know the future, how can he guarantee that any of his promises are actually really going to come true? He can't. So instead of falling captive to these things, we should instead, Paul tells us, look to follow <coughs> Jesus completely. And that is easy to say and hard to do. all sorts of stuff that happens in our lives and it happens in the culture and ideas floating around and everything else that try to drag us down. It's easy to fall prey to that. It's easy to fall into the despair. Right? I mean, the other day I was just in a bad way. I needed to refocus myself on my Lord and Savior. I was not following Jesus. done it all for us. And so when we find everything we need in Him, we'll be able to follow that narrow road into eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have for Christ the Lord says given us all we need for life and godliness. You've given us all we need for your great faithful for us in Jesus, to not fall prey to the philosophies of the world and all of the things that are around us and all the things that try to drag us down, and also not to fall into the trap of legalism and judging others by made-up rules about this, that, and the other thing. Instead, Father, help us all to focus on Jesus and look to him completely for all we need for glory.